Assalamu alaikum, everyone. My name is Zara Udin, and I will be your host for this episode of Muslims in Medicine, a podcast created by the Muslim Medical Association of Canada, Western University Chapter. Our honorable guests today are Dr. Arfeen Malik, a child and adolescent psychiatrist at the Hospital for Sick Children in Toronto, Canada, and Sheikh Naveed Aziz, who is the Director of Religious and Social Services for the Islamic Information Society of Calgary. I am very excited to have them here today to have a discussion about Islam and mental health. So my first question is directed towards Dr. Malik. Can you please define mental health for us? Thank you so much for having us uh, on the uh, show today. Uh, inshallah, I mean, the important definitions to understand about mental health um, are, you know, really understanding what we mean when we say mental health. Mental health is talked about in a lot of different spheres nowadays. Um, and unfortunately, sometimes it can be talked about in ways that make it seem kind of trivial or kind of um you know, like, like a diagnosis of mental illness can be given by anybody. You'll go on TikTok, on social media, and everybody's diagnosing each other with different things. And so I think, you know, mental health is really um, a really integral and essential component of your health. And if we look at the WHO, the World Health Organization definition, it's really a state of complete well-being, which, you know, includes physical, mental, and social well-being. Um, not just that there is an absence of disease or an absence of illness, but that you really have, um, you know, mental health is more than just an absence of mental disorders. It's a state where an individual can really realize their own abilities. They can cope with, you know, the normal stresses of life um, and they can work productively and they're able to make a contribution to his or her community. I think this definition is really interesting because mental health doesn't just stop with your own well-being, but it also goes further to say that you have to, you know, be able to manage your stresses, also contribute to the society around you, which I actually think is, you know, fundamentally in line with our Islamic teachings about collective well-being as well as, as, well as individual well-being and uh, ability. Jazakallah khair. That's a really good definition. I like how it's not just the absence of disease, but it's really making sure that you're feeling happy and able to perform in society. I'm wondering what is the difference between mental health and mental illness? Yeah, so, you know, just in line with that definition, you know, mental health, as you know, just described is again, when you're able to realize your own potentials, you can cope with the stresses of life, you can work productively, and you can contribute to your community. And I love that WHO definition. I think it's a really important one. When we look then to mental illness, you know, we can think about it as having significant impact on your function, your ability to cope with stresses, people's inability to then contribute to society, to help support the collective well-being. Uh, and so, you know, when we think of mental illness, we know that it impacts all of these various areas. And when we really look at it practically, we know that mental illness impacts, you know, social function, relationships, work productivity. We know it impacts our actual relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that it impacts our day-to-day -day in so many meaningful ways. And, you know, that's really the threshold for any mental illness is the significant functional impact that it has on an individual's life. Okay, that makes sense. 
So that sounds like that's the definition from the World Health Organization. Um, I'm wondering what does Islam say about mental health? And I'm going to direct this question to Sheikh Naveed Aziz. Jazakallah khair, Zara. Thank you so much for having me today. Uh, with regards to mental health, I think one of the things that we need to understand is that Islam is not just a religion, but it is a holistic way of life. And one of the beautiful narrations from the Prophet wasallam that we find in Sahih al-Bukhari, he says, uh, indeed, your Lord has rights upon you, your soul has rights upon you, your family has rights upon you, so fulfill the rights of everyone that has rights upon you. And this emphasis of even your soul has rights upon you, it shows us this holistic approach that Islam teaches us to take. So when we talk about prevention and this concept of not harming others, nor allowing harm to be done to us, it's at all levels, emotional, psychological, physical, all of that is included. So when we look at mental health, Islam approaches mental health just as it would um, physical health, that both of them need to be maintained and we need to take a preventative approach to them. And if someone was to get injured in either or, then we take the uh, appropriate means both from a scientific perspective as well as a spiritual perspective in treating that condition, inshallah. Thank you very much. It sounds like Islam's definition is aligned with that of the World Health Organization in that it also thinks of mental health problems alike to other physical health problems. And I think a lot of people have a misconception about this in Islam. Uh, and one of the common misconceptions is that the evil eye or the devil is the cause of mental health problems. Can you please speak on this? Definitely. So we have to understand that within the Muslim community, there are different segments and different populations that perhaps are not aware of mental health and mental illness. And it's still a growing field within the Muslim community itself. So traditionally speaking, if something was to go wrong, there was this, you know, the thing that we fall back on that we blame the jinn or we blame the devil or things of that nature. Now, this is not to, uh, to discard the presence of jinn or the presence of, of, of the devil, but this is to say that there still needs to be a way to diagnose these things and then address those matters as well. So when we talk about issues related to mental health, it's always important, again, to take that holistic approach that we provide spiritual cures as well as, you know, scientific and medical cures as well. So to go back and to fall back on that default, oh, it must be the jinn or it must be the devil, that, that's a, a mindset that we need to change that, you know, as we learn more about our body, as we learn more about our minds, let's try to take this holistic approach and try to rule out you know, all options uh, in that given scenario. So it is present, but I think as we increase our own literacy on mental health, then we can uh, eradicate that misconception, inshallah. Inshallah. So it sounds like another misconception is that spiritual treatment is the solution to all mental health problems if people believe that it's all the devil or the evil eye. So can you please clarify this for us? For sure. So this holistic approach that Islam promotes, it teaches us that when someone is ill, you should recite Quran on them. If someone has access to Zamzam, they should be drinking Zamzam water. We should be making dua and asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for cure and for shifa. But along with this, the Prophet wasallam teaches us to take the means that are available to us, right? To tie your camel and then put your trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So both of them have to go hand in hand and we don't isolate one from the other. So if someone does have a mental illness or a mental health condition, then we tell them, take both approaches together, you know, recite your Quran upon yourself, make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and as well as consult the professional and see what advice they have for you. And if there's a prescription involved, there's nothing wrong with taking that prescription, inshallah. 
It definitely sounds like Islam approaches mental health issues just like any other physical health problems. When someone has diabetes, for example, we encourage them to make dua, but also to take their insulin. For mental health problems like depression, we should also be using both methods. And my next question is directed to Dr. Malik. Where should individuals who are suffering seek help? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think, you know, one of the important um, and beautiful things about our religion is that we rely heavily on our family, we rely heavily on our imams, we rely heavily on the individuals around us to give us kind of sound advice and goodness. So, you know, the first thing that I will say is that, unfortunately, you know, sometimes when people do approach us about them struggling themselves with mental illness, I think we really need to um, know how to respond. And so some of the common unfortunate responses that I hear is people saying, you know, it's all in your head. This is, you know, you need to strengthen your mind. You need to pray more. You shouldn't be thinking like this. This is haram. Um, Just think positive. You know, this is all a test from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And, you know, I just want to offer some other things that could be said uh, as alternatives. So, you know, some things that people find incredibly helpful when they're really struggling is, you know, their family, friend, just saying, you're not alone um, in this. I'm here for you. You might not believe it now, but, you know, the way you're feeling will change and I can help you. I can take you to the emergency department. I can take you to the family doctor appointment. Um, And, you know, other important, you know, especially if someone's having very acute thoughts, you know, if they're wondering if they should give up, just asking them, you know, just hold off for one more day, one more hour, come with me and I can take you to get some help or I can, you know, show you some resources for help. And these are much more helpful in terms of kind of responses that you can have for family members and friends. The other important thing, if you're actually talking about, you know, how to access treatments. We have, you know, imams who are, you know, very well trained in mental health now, and but you need to seek out the ones that are very well trained in mental health. Not all imams have the same level of expertise. And I do encourage talking to an imam. It's, it's a very important because you want to, you know, ensure that what you're doing is in line with your own religious and spiritual beliefs. Supplication as, um, you know, Sheikh Aziz already talked about Quran. But you know, the important things about mental illness is to understand that sometimes there are biological challenges that are resulting in having a mental illness. And so a lot of times people don't realize that, for example, anemia, low B12, calcium deficiencies, these things can cause depression. And if you don't go to your family doctor to have blood work done, you'll miss these reversible diseases, similarly with thyroid disease. So I really encourage people to go to their family doctor, talk to them about the symptoms they're having, and encourage to advocate for testing for some of these things as well. The other things in terms of where you can get help, so family doctors are really your first line. They are triaging you to different resources, and they should know about the resources in your area. For Muslim-specific resources, we do have the muslimmentalhealth.ca website that centralizes Muslim counselors who provide mental health treatment. So I'd encourage you to go to that website if you're looking for Muslim counselors. Um, And then you can always reach out to the, you know, if you're in Ontario, the Mood and Anxiety Disorders of Ontario, to CAMH, to some of these organizations and express that you actually need spiritually adapted and culturally appropriate treatment. And some of that involves advocacy on your behalf. Exactly, Claire. That's a lot of great information. So number one, people should 
visit their family doctor and from there, the family doctor can also direct them to more resources or individuals can Google some resources. What should individuals expect when they go to their family doctor and seek other help from imams? So I'll address the beginning part of the question around what can you expect when you go to your family doctor? And I think that's a really great question because sometimes your family doctor may suggest medication treatment, and sometimes there is an ability and an important ability for you to advocate for dual combination treatment, which is talk therapy along with medication-based treatment. And that really depends on the diagnosis that that you have, but it is within our guidelines for you to have talk therapy if your condition is you know, mild to moderate, if your condition is severe, um, then medication is usually recommended. And so really that's guided by your family doctor's advice. But I do encourage people to really advocate for first line guideline therapy, which would be for anxiety and depression disorders, at least would be talk therapy based with a combination of medication if needed. And when I talk about severity, that really means if it's really impacting your relationships with others, that's impacting your ability to work, impacting your ability to perform in school or attend school. And that's, that's when we know that function is significantly being impacted. The other things that that you can expect is your family doctor may be referring you to a social worker, to a psychologist. Uh, they may refer you to some private resources, some public resources. And so that, that is where there's a little bit of confusion. And you can really ask your family doctor to help navigate some of those challenges as well. I just wanted to also uh, allow Sheikh Aziz to respond to what could they expect when they go to an imam, maybe in terms of presenting some of their mental health concerns. Jazakallah khair, Dr. Malik. Um, so with imams, unfortunately, there's no set protocol. There's no, you know, uh, board of advisory that oversees all imams. So I think experiences may vary, and that's very important to keep in mind. Uh, with that being said, you know, there's no harm in asking your local imam, do you have any mental health training? Are you certified in anything in particular? If not, I think that's a great starting point to help the imam actually get trained because oftentimes imams don't know what resources are available to them and where to get the trainings because we're already doing counseling and we're just basing that on our own individual experience as opposed to actually being certified. So advocating for the imam will actually go very, very long in benefiting the community and helping the community. Um, With that being said, I can speak about my own experience. Over the years, I've uh, established relationships with various psychologists within the city. So based upon the uh, individual and what I feel they need, if it's something related to Islam and questions about Islam, I'll handle that myself. But anytime if they're looking for a diagnosis, if they're looking like, you know, what can I do further, then I'll refer them to one of the psychologists that I work with. uh, And then they make the official diagnosis. And then we uh, collaborate together in helping the individual. Yeah, it sounds like it's a very collaborative field. Uh, where you're working both on the spiritual aspect of it, but also the medical aspect of it. I'm wondering if, Dr. Malik, you can speak about where we can go if we're looking for more resources. Yeah, that's a great question. And I think, you know, this podcast is really Canada-wide and so makes it challenging to provide specific um, resources. But one of the things that I will say is that in each region, you have both a children's mental health agency and you have mental health hospitals and, um, and organizations. So, you know, if I was speaking to Ontario specific, I would really recommend things like the Centre for Addiction and Mental Health called CAMH. Um, I would recommend reaching out to your family doctor. I would recommend also looking at your nearest hospital psychiatry department to see if you need a referral there. 
And that's really a discussion with your family doctor about if that referral is needed. If you're looking for counseling, you know, I did talk about the website www.muslimmentalhealth.ca that does have resources on there for counselors. But again, I really encourage you to see a medical professional before you go and determine that you may need to go see a counselor just to make sure that there's nothing medical that's been missed um, in terms of blood work and some of that workup that might need to be done. In every region, there's also distress and crisis lines. So for example, in Toronto, we have the Toronto distress uh, lines. We have Kids Help Phone Line, which is across Canada. We have the Assaulted Women's Helpline. We have NISA Helplines. So these are all really great resources to be knowledgeable about. And these are emergency crisis lines that exist. And I would you know, really encourage you to take a look at the ones that we've posted on, on our website as well for distress lines that you can access. Yeah, those are all great helplines. And there's also Kids Help Phone and Nasiha, which is directed towards Muslim youth. So we've come a long way in terms of understanding mental health and mental illness. But unfortunately, there's still a lot of stigma around mental health. So I'm wondering how can we, on an individual and collective level, destigmatize mental health in our Islamic communities? And I'll direct this first to Sheikh Nabeh disease. Thank you so much, Zara. Um, so firstly, I think when we look at the seerah of the Prophet وسلم, it's important to highlight the incidents that deal with the sadness of the Prophet وسلم, and the anxiety that he felt. So for example, um, you know, when his son passed away, how did the Prophet وسلم, deal with that? When his uncle passed away, how did he deal with that? So those coping mechanisms and those strategies that, the, that Islam teaches us through the Prophet وسلم, are very important to highlight and they should be a part of the greater discussion that we have. And then also looking at the Quran from the perspective of how it deals with emotions as well. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala constantly tells us that in the hereafter, they will not have any fear, nor will they have anything to grieve about. So this concept of grief and, and fear and anxiety, it's all addressed in the Quran. So when we're doing our tafsir classes, addressing it from that perspective. So this is a very passive way. As we're teaching Islam, we can address these issues. But then there's a, an explicit way as well, which is holding workshops and that's this collaborative approach where you have an imam and you have a psychologist or, or a professional in the field, and we come together to address various issues. One of the things that we're doing at our masjid now is we have an event called Mental Health Mondays, where uh, myself and another psychologist, we will get together and talk about various issues, like how do we approach stress? How do we deal with anxiety? How do we deal with depression? And each month is a, is a separate topic. So I think that's a second way to, to do things as well. And I think it's great in, in terms of aesthetics for the community to see their local imam with a professional to see that, you know, everyone's on the same page and everyone's working together and that there is no quote unquote contradiction between Islam and medicine or Islam and science. So those are some of the things that we do, we can do to uh, eradicate the stigma around mental health and mental illness. MashaAllah, Mental Health Monday seems like a great initiative. And I think it would be very powerful to have that elsewhere across the country in the world. Uh, Dr. Malik, do you know of any ideas of how we can destigmatize mental health in our Islamic communities? Yeah, I think, you know, um, alhamdulillah, I have seen the community really change and transform. And these initiatives, you know, Sheikh Aziz is a, a wonderful initiative that you mentioned. And I have seen so many more, you know, community members and organizations kind of moving towards being um, able to talk about mental health in a more open, non-judgmental, um, and really evidence-based way. I think one of the important things that really comes up is language, the language that we use and often mistakenly using languages such as saying, you know, 
you know, everybody has depression, so everybody should get over it. And actually, no, depression is a clinical illness. Sadness is an emotion we all have, but depression is a clinical illness. And it's these small things that really are important to be able to address and just understand a little bit more about. Um, you know, the other really important things are that in the community, we've started to have the Canadian Muslim Mental Health Conference, and that's really with the aim of trying to destigmatize mental health at a, at a, you know, national level across Canada and encouraging these discussions with, you know, Sheikh Aziz has been part of our conference, having imams join, chaplains, psychiatrists, psychologists, where we can learn in an interdisciplinary way, because I think there's a lot to learn from the Islamic tradition, and there's a lot to learn from evidence-based, and actually the combination of both is very powerful for individuals who are struggling with mental illness. So I think, inshallah, in allowing for more of these conversations to happen, to see more collaboration, um, and to really be able to provide validating statements, validating environments to individuals who are suffering with mental illness, um, and trying to put, a, put an end to kind of discussion that, that is stigmatizing, that's further invalidating for individuals who really have significant challenges with schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, depression, anxiety, um, are, are very important. And when you hear it coming from an imam, or you hear it coming from the um, doctor or physician, it's it's very meaningful in communities. And so just encouraging those conversations. I agree with that. I think talking about mental health problems is still a bit taboo in our communities, whereas discussing other illnesses like congestive heart failure isn't as taboo and people can openly have conversations with that. And that should be the same with mental health problems, inshallah. So my last question for both of you is if you have any general advice for individuals suffering from mental health problems. And I'll direct that to Sheikh Aziz first. Thank you so much, Zara. Uh, so starting off, the first thing I'd like to mention is to not conflate your emotional state with the level of your faith. So oftentimes people have this misconception that if I'm feeling sad, it must mean that my faith is low. And that couldn't be further from the truth. And this is why when we study Islam holistically, we see that even the Messenger وسلم, the best of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's creation, felt sad when incidents happened. And when something happens in your life, there's nothing wrong with feeling sad. And the Prophet tells us as, as guidelines, you know, the, uh, the heart will grieve, the eyes will shed tears, but the tongue should only say that which pleases Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So I think do not conflate your emotional state with the level of your faith. Yes, one can have an impact on the other, but there it, it's not uh, causational, right? So you can use your faith to uplift your, your emotional state as well. Um, the second thing that I would mention is, you know, using this approach of uh, a holistic approach of when we seek treatment, incorporate, you know, your dhikr, your dua, your recitation of the Quran, along with any uh, professional help that you're seeking and, and don't do either or in isolation. And this approach uh, is going to be the most effective, inshallah ta'ala. And then last but not least, I know oftentimes um, there is this challenge of expressing ourselves to our parents, to our communities, and they may not understand what we're trying to convey to them, but never give up on those battles. I think as we advocate for ourselves, we're also advocating for everyone else that you know is, is, is doesn't have the ability to do so. So to continue to advocate within your families, within your communities, for uh, uh, mental health and uh, inshallah will go a very long way. So those are uh, some of the final advices that I'd like to share. Those are great pieces of advice, definitely to continue having the conversations with our loved ones and inshallah, they will begin to understand 
Uh, unfortunately, the stigma is still around, but inshallah, with continued discussion, it will go away. Uh, and to Dr. Malik, can you speak on any advice you have? Yeah, I think um, I think one of the important things to understand is that we are not the only community who has very high levels of stigma around mental um, illness. Um, and I think it's important to also recognize that um, you know, that, that mental illness is just like any other, you know, physical illness, as you've mentioned already. And, you know, the important things are, I, I've already mentioned, I'll reiterate, you know, making sure that you are getting the appropriate diagnosis. I come across many people who have self-diagnosed, um, who are doing their treatments on their own, who have sought their own kind of ways of treatment. And I often find that without a clear diagnosis of what's happening, that can often be erroneous or incorrect and often things do get missed. So I'd really encourage you to have a clear diagnosis provided to you. And if it's not to ask for it, to ask what is my diagnosis? What is the treatment? What is the evidence for my treatment? Um, and really understanding each of those layers. And that does require advocacy at a time when you're not feeling well. And so as family members who may be listening to this podcast, joining your loved one in a medical appointment to advocate for them as well is very important. And being able to join them going to the emergency department, if they're having suicidal thoughts, if they're really struggling, these are very important things that we can do to help individuals who are, you know, in a, in a really hard place with their mental illness. Another really important part of it is if you do have challenges and they're more immediate in nature, I do encourage you to go to the emergency department. I do encourage you, uh, you know, to seek out help immediately to call the distress lines. I see a lot of people who don't and who wait until the symptoms get very severe and then treatment becomes challenging. So it's much better to get treatment earlier than to wait. We actually know that there's significant impact on the brain when treatment is delayed. So I would really recommend early treatment when you notice symptoms coming on to reach out to your family doctor first. Um, and then if it's really an emergency situation to go to the emergency room and to get assessed. That's a really good point. I think because of some internalized stigma, we deny that we have a problem sometimes and we hope that it will get better over time. But it's very important that once you do recognize that you're having some issues, that you seek help immediately and that can help your treatment. Jazakallah Khair, both of you, Dr. Malik and Sheikh Aziz, for having this important discussion with me. And Jazakallah Khair to our audience for listening. Be sure to tune in to the next episode of Muslims and Medicine.